Well, let's read tonight from the book of Romans. I'm going to read from Romans chapter 3. tonight to read from Romans chapter 3 and we're going to read from verse 9. Romans chapter 3, very easy find, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, the Acts, the epistle to the Romans. Romans chapter 3 verse 9. Let us hear the word of the Lord. What then? Are we better than they? No, in no wise. For we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. As it is written, there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that understandeth. There's none that seeketh after God. They're all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Their throat is an open sepulchre. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their limbs, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore by the deeds of the law there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested. Being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God which is by faith of Jesus Christ. Unto all and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. To declare his righteousness for remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say at this time, his righteousness. That he might be just. And the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Whereas boasting then it is excluded. By what law? Of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also seeing it is one God which shall justify the circumcision by faith and the uncircumcision through faith, do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid. Yea, we establish the law. What shall we say then that Abraham our father as pertaining to the flesh hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he had were off to glory, but not before God. For what saith the Scriptures? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is the reward, 
not reckoned of grace but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth in him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Amen. We'll end the reading there at verse 8. And we pray God will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scriptures. Now my text tonight is taken from Romans chapter 4 and the verse 5. It reads as follows. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. And my subject this evening is considering the Reformation principle of sola fide. Now the third of the five solas preached by the reformers in the 15th and 16th century to summarize their foundational or basic beliefs was sola fide. The words sola fide, young people, are Latin words. And they translate into the English as faith alone. Sola means alone or only. Fide is the Latin word for faith. So there, when you combine them, you get faith only or faith alone. The word alone, of course, was the big battleground word of the Reformation. The religious establishment of the day, meaning the Church of Rome, they talk of Scripture they talk about grace, they talk about faith, they'll talk about Christ, they'll talk about the glory of God, but not alone or only when it comes to salvation. And the Protestant Reformation re-emphasized and rediscovered the great truths of sola scriptura, sola gratia, sola fide, sola Christus, sola de gloria. The third sola that was rediscovered and re-emphasized at that time was sola fide. This was a truth, of course, that went to the heart of the gospel message that the reformers declared, defined, and defended. This was a truth that they were prepared to defend even to their death. And if you look at our text tonight, uh, Romans 4 and 5, you will notice that it mentions uh, sola fide. But to him that worketh not, but believeth in him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Now, sola fide is mentioned by way of inference in this text. And the words, of course, are very important. These words are easy to recite, easy to read. Um, there's much truth here that could slip over our heads and bypass our minds. And oftentimes in relation to Scripture, we fail to see how important the words actually are. And this one verse, and there's many verses like it, but this one verse 
is a total variance with every religion that man has devised from the beginning of time right up to the present. You see, the heart of religious man or or the heart of man-made religion is, of course, works. Every religion of man is a, a works religion. And this text smashes man's works religion on the head. Look at it. But to him that worketh not. Now does not tie into Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 that we thought about last Lord's Day evening. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And you know, I would love to have been around in the first century. I would love to have been living, if it were possible, in the days of the Apostle Paul and Apostle Peter and, and heard them preach. I guarantee you this. If we had been are able to be transported back in time to the first century, get into the time machine, press the button, say it was AD 60, and we heard the Apostle Paul preach, do you know that there would have been a hide of protest, certainly among the religious leaders of Judaism? There would have been an absolute outrage at his preaching. There would definitely have been a, a, a protest of sorts launched. Because what did the Apostle Paul preach and believe? Exactly what Jonah preached and believed. Jonah 2 and 9. Salvation is of the Lord from start to finish. Salvation's all of God. It's all of grace. Remember we learned last week it's grace to the ill-deserving, grace to the hell-deserving. In other words, literally put, simply put, so the children can understand it, that salvation doesn't come to those who work for it. Salvation is not merited on the basis of works religion. Titus 3 and 5 says, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he has saved us. Here's a question. How can a sinner approach a holy and righteous God? Here's another question. How can that sinner who approaches the holy and righteous God ever be accepted by God? Is there an answer? And the answer is found in this text of scripture. But the him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted or reckoned for righteousness. And it was this message that shook people Rome. It was this message that shook the whole of Germany. It was this message that affected other European countries. And glory to God is still shaking and rattling religious sinners who who believe in works religion right up to this day. You take those who are involved in religious ritual and religious ceremony and they're smug in their religiosity, that they're smug in their own righteousness. They they like to think that they can. They like to think that they should contribute something to their personal salvation. And it hurts their pride, annoys them and accepts them when they're told that God rejects all and any human merit. And that salvation's all of God. 
I'm thinking that even in certain evangelical circles, the thought is God has done his bit. And now you have to do your bit. Or God has done his part. And you have to do your part. I want to tell you tonight, that is a mockery of the whole message of the gospel. And sadly, maybe without realising it, some modern evangelicals have made and are making a complete mockery of the gospel. The sinner himself has no innate power within his own being, not even an ounce of that, to, to save himself. You, you think of this illustration. Here's a dead corpse. The dead corpse has been placed in the cemetery. And you go to the corpse. It's lying there in the casket, even before it's covered. Or we could say it's covered over. And you could stand there and say, Now, corpse, I have built you a house. And corpse, the lights are on. The heat's on because it's cold. And there's food in the fridge. And all you have to do now, corpse, is to get up and inhabit the house. Now, now could you imagine that? Somebody standing at the cemetery saying that to a corpse? The men from Purdysburg would be coming. They'd be coming with their, their white things to, to, to lock you up because they, they would think you've gone completely cuckoo because the corpse is dead and the corpse has got no life and the corpse can't hear. And you see, it's as much sense to say that the sinner has innate power within himself, even an ounce of innate power to help to contribute to his salvation as it said to a dead corpse to inhabit a house where the lights and the heat is on. Sinners have no power to save themselves. And we repeat for the sake of emphasis, salvation is by grace alone, in Christ alone, received by faith alone. And it's in that context in Romans 4 and 5, there's the mention of sola fide. Now, secondly, if we isolate the word faith, what is it? Young people, when you hear faith mentioned, what is it? Well, of course, it's a girl's name. I know a girl in school called faith. I know a girl in Tandragee called faith. Is that what it means? Is faith simply saying, well, you know, I believe in God and I believe in the Bible and I believe in Jesus Christ? Or is faith saying, well, well, I believe in God, but, but I, I don't have any real assurance and really I'm full of doubt and fear, but I believe God anyway. What is saving faith? If we lift it up into its theological sense, what is faith? The Catechism says, and I'm quoting from 86, and we're a long way from 86, aren't we? The Catechism says, faith in Jesus Christ is a saving grace, whereby we receive and rest upon him alone for salvation as he's offered to us in the gospel. Now, you can't be gullible. I don't want you to be misled. Because the reality is tonight, when it comes to faith, and there's the mention of faith, there's a different meaning creeps into people's minds 
than the biblical and theological sense in which faith ought to be understood. Do you know that many tonight have a false faith? We could point you to many in the scriptures that had a false faith. Uh, Simon Magus, for example, in Acts chapter 8, the Bible tells us about Simon Magus that Simon himself believed. And um, that's what it says in Romans 8 and 13. Then Simon himself believed also, and when he was baptized. And yet a little later on, because he wanted to buy the Holy Ghost, Peter said unto him, Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. There was neither part nor lot in this matter, for thine heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent therefore of this thy wickedness, and pray God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. For I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness, and in the bond of iniquity. Of course, in Acts chapter, or, or sorry, John chapter 6, uh, there was many who believed in Jesus Christ and went back from following hard after him. And they evidenced by that falling away that they had not true Bible-believing faith. It wasn't true faith. Over there in the epistle of James, in James chapter 2, an epistle that Luther struggled with, although he shouldn't have, but he did. It says in James 2 and 14, For what did it profit my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works, can faith save him? And the word works here means accompanying evidences. And a true saving faith, of course, has got accompanying evidences. In James 2 and verse 9, it says, or 19 rather, Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. See, the devil believes tonight there's one God. The devil believes he's the living and the true God. The devil believes there's a heaven. The devil believes there's a hell. We, we have read here, the devils also believe and tremble. He knows that one day he himself will be thrown into the lake of fire. The demons believe. But it's not through saving faith. They're not saved. The devil will never be saved. And many today, sadly, have a wrong idea of what true faith is. So when we mention faith, and here it is in the Bible, let's, let's be clear what we mean. It's more than a girl's name. It's more than simply saying, well, you know, I believe in God. Or, or, well, I've got my faith, Mr. McLaughlin, but what does that mean? You see, true faith involves three things. It involves a knowledge. It involves scriptural truth coming into our mind. It, calls, uh, it involves gr grasping hold of certain facts. There's a knowledge about God, a knowledge about ourselves, a knowledge about the fact that we've got a soul, a knowledge that we're a sinner and we need to be saved, and the knowledge that God has provided a saviour. You see, that's something tonight that the humanists deny. They, they teach that man doesn't need a saviour. And that man shouldn't expect salvation outside of himself. But we tonight preach the gospel. Do you know why? Because faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And by the word of God we gain knowledge that there is a God. But without faith it's impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is. And is a warder of them that diligently seek him. 
So, so here's the first, if we think of a, a, a three-step ladder, here's the first step. There has to be knowledge. And coupled with that knowledge, there has to be intellectual assent. In other words, there has to be conviction that that knowledge that you've been given and shared with, that is absolutely true. That, that, that you agree with the testimony and the statements of Scripture. I, I am convinced in, that there's a God and that I'm a sinner and I have a soul and need to be saved. And this conviction is a true conviction. And then, of course, coupled with that is a commitment or, or a reception. Remember, faith in Jesus Christ is a saving grace whereby we receive and rest upon him alone for salvation. There has to be a receiving and a resting in Christ alone for salvation. Let me illustrate. Years ago, there was a man called Charles Blondin, and he was a tightrope walker. And he used to enjoy walking along the Niagara Falls on a tightrope from the American side to the Canadian and back again. And of course, large crowds gathered to see uh, Charles Bond and perform and they, they heralded him as somebody who was great. Did you know one time he, he brought a chair across with him and he sat in the chair? Don't ask me how. I'd love to see a picture of it. And he cooked an omelette on the tightrope in the middle of the Niagara Falls and then he came over to the other side. Uh, one day he, he actually said, who believes that I could take a man across on my shoulders? And of course there was nobody going to commit themselves. And then one trembling soul did. Do you know who it was? It was his own manager and I'm sure he was quaking before he got to the other side. But Blondin was able to carry him across and bring him back again. And that, that got me thinking. You remember we read in Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12. We sang it tonight. Or at least to him. Nevertheless I'm not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed. And I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Think of the words. For I know. And there's knowledge. And think of the words, for I know whom I have believed, and I'm persuaded, that is fully convinced, absolutely convicted. I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him. There's the word committed. And, and that, that word committed, you have to think of a treasure chest. Your, your most precious and important possession. And, and what did Paul commit to the safekeeping of the Lord? His, his immortal soul. Let me ask tonight. When you hear the mention of faith. Do you understand its meaning? What is saving faith? It's a knowledge of God. And the person and work of Jesus Christ. It's a, an intellectual assent that these propositions that I read in the Bible and have heard preached, they're absolutely true. I'm convinced of that. And then you go beyond that. There has to be a reception and a, and a resting upon Christ. It's like tar. It sticks. There's a trusting in. There's an adhering to. There's a relying on. Have you trusted in Christ? Are you adhering to Christ? Are you relying on Christ tonight? I think of the acrostic and faith that I'm always fond of. 
forsaking all, I trust him. Or you could put it, forsaking all, I take him. I don't mind. But that's what true faith is. Notice, thirdly, go back to our text, the message of soul of fighting. We'll ask the question, is salvation by faith alone? The Church of Rome, of course, answers negatively and seeks to refuse to believe that. But look at our text. It says, but to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly. Let's remember that a religious, righteous works righteousness can never save a soul. The religious, righteous works of sinful men and women never can be, never will be the ground upon which God justifies the ungodly. Sinners are justified by faith in Christ without works of any description. That's what our text means. But to him that worketh not, but believeth, there's continuous faith, on him that justifieth the ungodly. In other words, it excludes all human merit. Even the act of receiving Christ as Lord and Savior. True saving faith remembers the gift of God. For by grace he is saved through faith. And that, not of yourselves. That faith to believe is not of yourself. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We could ask the question tonight, how does the sinner approach a holy God? That question's of utmost importance. Let's think of who God is. Let's think of how holy he is. Remember in Isaiah 6, the angels in God's presence, sinless angels, covers their face, cover their flesh. They go about crying to this day, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Let's think of God as the Bible tells us, the Lord God of Nebuchadnezzar, the one who is in absolute sovereign control of this universe. Let's think of God as our creator and maker. Let's think of God as the God and father of the Lord Jesus. And when you begin to think of who God is and in all the transcendent majesty of his glory, who dwells in light unapproachable, and then begin to think of what we are by nature. And I deliberately read from Romans 3 tonight, right through from uh, verse 9. And in verse 10, it says, As it is written, there's none righteous, no, not one. Verse 11, there's none that understandeth. There's none that seeketh after God. They're all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There's none that doeth good, no, not one. Remember in Romans 3 and 23, when he gave a summary. And what was the summary? For all have sinned. Jews and Gentiles alike, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And we sinned in Adam, we fell in him, we inherited the guilt of his first transgression. We, we, uh, we're, we're polluted with a, a heart that loves sin. If we think about what we are before God, a holy God, a righteous God, the answer is we're vile and full of sin. Do you see yourself tonight as without God? with an anti-God spirit in your heart and mind, who is the Lord that I should obey him? And it asked them, how can a sinner 
a vile, ill-deserving, hell-deserving sinner. A sinner full of sin approach a holy and a righteous God. You probably have heard the story of the conversion of the late Pastor Willie Mullen from Lurgan Baptist. He was a tramp. He was a down and out. In fact, he was a villain. He was standing in a field one night. He was casing a big house. He was thinking of how he could rob it. And in that moment, the gospel, the good news that he had heard, came to his heart, applied by the Holy Spirit. And he loved to stand in the Baptist church down there in Lurgan and talk about how God and his great love reached down and saved, and I quote, a vile thing like me. A vile thing. And, and the sinner has to be brought to see that he's a vile thing. And he hasn't one commendable thing to, to commend him to God. And he has no religious merit. And he has not one bit of righteousness to offer that will be acceptable by God. And here's Romans 4 and Paul's making an argument. He's showing that Abraham, the father of the faithful, the, the, the founder of the Jewish nation, that, that he was an Old Testament example of being justified by faith alone. Notice the words. But believeth in him that justifieth the ungodly. God justifies the ungodly. Now, now listen to me tonight. You see, that's unheard of. The argument is, but God justifies the godly. He justifies the good people. He justifies the best of religious men. You see, that's the thinking. But I want to say tonight, you cannot get to heaven from earth because you can't come to God unless you're absolutely sinless in yourself. That is, you're absolutely sinlessly perfect like God. And God will never and cannot accept the best that you can do. And because you need to be absolutely righteous, then the question comes, how then or where do you get this righteousness. And that's where the gospel comes in. Look at Romans 3 and verse 24. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. See, let me tell you something as we wrap this up tonight. Martin Luther, whenever he was thinking about God, who was absolutely righteous and impeccably holy, who, who thought about himself like Willie Mullen as a vile thing, he hated this message of the righteousness of God because he had in his mind a vision of an absolute holy God who was absolutely perfect. He saw himself as a poor sinner and he thought to himself, and rightly so, but I can never attain to his standard. But you see, he was thinking of the divine righteousness of God as an attribute. But that's not what Romans 3 and 24 is about. It's not saying that God is righteous, although that's a true. He's talking about something else. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. The word freely means without a cause. The word propitiation 
means a, a sacrifice to satisfy divine justice. God accepted the once and for all sacrifice of Christ. That sacrifice of Christ that he offered was absolutely perfect. Jesus lived a sinless life, kept the law of God perfectly. Jesus died an atoning death for his people. And on that ground of, of the, the earning of righteousness by Jesus Christ, the sinners declared legally righteous by faith in Christ. He can approach God through faith in the blood of Christ. He can be accepted by God through faith in the blood sacrifice of Christ. See, this language has to do with the law courts of heaven. There's a change in the sinner's standing. How is the sinner accepted by God? Here's the answer. Faith in Jesus Christ. Faith in the scriptures of truth. Faith in the Savior himself, who is the truth. Faith in salvation, the gospel of truth. The object of faith is Christ. And if you're here tonight, how can a sinner approach a holy God? You need an absolute righteousness. And the Lord Jesus, as we're saying, lived a sinless life, died an atoning death, earned a, 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 a perfect righteousness. And when you trust Christ, his perfect righteousness is put to your account, imputed to you, counted yours by faith. And because of what Christ has done, because of who Christ is, God causes you and allows you to approach him. This is what theologians talk about, an alien righteousness. It's not ours, it's Christ. But he puts it to our account. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For he that is God, I should quote the, the, the reference correctly, uh, 2 Corinthians 5 and and 21, for he that is God hath made him, that's Christ, to be sin for us, and you know sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Now, of course, the Church of Rome calls this a Protestant heresy. But I want to tell you tonight, it's not a heresy. It's biblical. This is not a process. This is a, a declaration of the moment. And one final thing, and our time is gone. The mandate for solify. You see, solified really, or fide, summarizes the biblical teaching that justification is received by faith alone without the works of merit of any kind. And that's the conclusion of Romans chapter 3 and verse 28 that we've already read together tonight. Therefore, we conclude in summary that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. And of course, as I've said, the Church of Rome calls this a Protestant heresy. Council of Trent hasn't changed its views on sola fide. It's maintained to this day uh, by way of Roman Catholic theologians and Roman Catholic theology that um, this indeed is a, is a heresy. Church of Rome will acknowledge the infusion of righteousness but not the imputation of Christ's righteousness to the sinner by faith alone. And of course that infusion that Rome talks about comes by baptism. And may be increased or decreased by the adherent through his or her works. And of course Rome's anathema against this so-called justification being received by faith alone without the works of merit of any kind. This anathema is in place to this very day. 
And this is a mandate, of course, that we have to maintain and we have to rediscover and we have to, to stand for. I, I leave these few thoughts with you, not exhaustive by any means, but I, I trust that this has opened up. Um, you think of the mention of this in the scripture. You think of the meaning. You think of the message. It goes to the heart of how a sinner can approach and be accepted by God. And you think of this mandate. We need to maintain this message in our day and we need to declare it to all who will listen. And may the Lord bless these few thoughts to you this evening.